0: Thank you.
1: Episode 54, A New Hope. This is a show all about Pokemon's video game championship series. I am your host, Steven Morioka, and today I am joined by Alex Underhill. Sup, y'all. And Gabby Snyder.
2: Hey, everybody.
1: (laughs) So Gabby's voice should be familiar to a lot of you out there. Um, She was a regular back on the lava pool. And you should also know her voice probably more and be more familiar from it. This way is that she is one of the uh, official commentators for the Pokemon Company International for our uh, video game side of things.
2: Yeah. Um. Thanks for having me here. It's been a long time since I've done a podcast. Actually, like I mean, just the fact that you even mentioned the lava pool kind of brings me back. So <laughs> it's it's great to be here.
1: Yeah, the lava pool was a great time. I missed that <laughs> show a lot because uh, that was something I listened to um way back in the day. Uh, It wasn't even back in the day, that was only a few years ago still running. But anyway, I'm glad to have you here. So, everyone, I want to just do a few quick updates from last time. Last episode, we talked about the Florida Regional and how the dates for that were kind of offset and there was a weird, like, Saturday to Monday thing. Those dates have since been corrected to reflect the correct weekend dates, which I believe are November 29th, a Friday Saturday, November thirtieth, and Sunday, December first, two thousand nineteen. So those dates are now correct for the uh, or- Orlando area regional, which was Daytona Beach, um, for that regional. So that's all good, and I'm sure any of the other dates will also be corrected in the future if they haven't already. That's just one I noticed for sure. Now we're gonna get talking, uh, get to talking about uh, some things that were announced earlier today as well. Specifically, a lot of Worlds information, and well. We got uh, a lot of things about side events, uh, different Invitational happening, as well as the reveal of the World's Pikachu. So, Alex, where do you want to start here? Uh, oh. So are you just talking about just
0: in general or with regards to the World's Pikachu?
1: Either one. I mean, we can talk about the World's Pikachu first, the Pokemon Go invitation. Let's just go with the World's Pikachu, I guess.
0: We're right here. We know we're not going to just talk about it and then dodge away from it, you know? (laughs)
1: Let's do the subject
0: at hand. Uh Yeah, so they announced today uh through a large number of tweets. Um Yeah, there were that...
1: several.
2: <laughs> it was a choose-your-own-adventure. I thought that was super cute.
0: I attempted oh. it, but I got a little lost in it. Like, I realized that it was supposed to be like that, but I just, I, I don't know. It, it, I've never yeah. done one through Twitter, so it was just kind of an unfamiliar format to me.
2: Yeah, it it was unfortunate that um the like when you schedule tweets through like a tool or whatever, you can't just dump them all at once. So like I get mm-hmm. why there was just that like massive spam for like an hour this morning, but um yeah, going back in retrospect <laughs> and kind of viewing things made it a lot easier.
1: Yeah. I'll be truthful, I did not pick up on that at all. So cuz
0: you probably didn't witness it live.
1: Yeah, I probably, I did not, I just see the whole swarm of things, I was like, boy, they tweeted a lot, it makes sense <laughs> now. Um,
0: one cool tie-in, though, uh, before we dive right in, is uh, it was cool that they dropped a little hint to the Worlds theme with uh, the announcement of the Aerodactyl, or whatever, the event Aerodactyl that I think they'll be giving away at Worlds with uh, the move Celebrate.
1: Yeah, that's very clever.
2: Yeah, it's, I I really liked that, too. Um, it, I mean, not it's that it's hindsight. gonna be, yeah, it's not gonna be competitively, like, game-changing or whatever, but sometimes Aerodactyl just wants to throw a party.
0: And just the fact that they just, like, teased this, but, like, nobody thought anything more of it. It was just like, oh, cool, you know, they're giving away an Aerodactyl with a fun move. Like, not what else to think of it, but apparently it has very much to do with the theme, so I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, and now for the people that don't actually know what the theme is, it seems to be some kind of archaeology uh theme um i don't know is that the vibe that you guys are getting
2: um so uh, correct me if i'm wrong because it, it's been forever since i've been to the um natural history museum in dc but i'm pretty sure like the dinosaur fossils they have in the picture like is um from that museum so not mm. only is it like archaeology but it's like specifically i guess dinosaurs and museums and
0: um, Is that paleontology?
2: Yeah, I was gonna say try, I was gonna try to work in like stealing the Declaration of Independence but I don't really think that um, actually is part of the theme. What about maybe
0: oh my what gosh. About, maybe Night at the Museum?
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, it could be that like when I first saw this earlier today I also thought, I was thinking of National Treasure that movie with Nicolas Cage in it yeah. I was like, why did they go with this Wait, why for did, GC? Why didn't you guys get Night at the Museum vibes?
2: Um, I mean, I d- it definitely came up in my head, but in terms of like
0: or internet
2: Jones. jokes, well, okay. Yeah. So the first thing that I thought of with museums was Indiana Jones. Um, I really wanted a Pikachu that was just like some grumpy like um adventurer who was like, it just it belongs in a museum or whatever. Um, Can you imagine
0: if Pikachu had a five o'clock shadow? Oh, that would be kind <laughs> <weird>. of <laughs> interesting. <laughs>
1: Yeah, an old-age Pikachu. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah but... I, yeah, I guess uh, we have our own very own archaeologist Pikachu as the world's Pikachu for this year. Um, Alex, you, both you and I were wrong in our predictions a few episodes ago when I was predicting, like, secret service Pikachu with a suit and tie and stuff, and you had an oh. uh, old-school presidential Pikachu, and neither of us were right, or even close for that matter.
0: <laughs> I, I feel a little cheated, because, like... Uh Well, I didn't know that DC was known for uh, its museums, so, I mean, for the people that did know that, it makes a lot of sense, and, I mean, it's still a fair thing to make the theme about, but I was just like, oh, wait, what is this? This seems so random to me. But it, it's really cute, really cool. I'm really, like, I really love it.
1: Yeah, so in the in the photo for the theme, you can see there's a Chespin, Piplup, Eevee, breaks in Hippopotas, there's a Sableye, and then there's, um, I guess, fossilized versions of Bastiodon and Tyrantrum, and Pikachu's... where uh, There's also Nosepass, which Pikachu is standing on top of. With Aerodactyl. A, like a Hippopotas hat, <laughs> and there's a fossilized Aerodactyl, and um, I was always wondering... I wondered what the uh two red eyes in the background were and Gabby you brought up a good point about that
2: yeah i'm pretty sure it's like the spirits or shadows or whatever of the tyrantum and uh Bastiodon. um just judging by like the eye position because at first mm. i thought the tyrantum was actually a groudon which i thought was like okay i guess it's like a old pokemon or whatever if you go into the lore but um having like the the shadows or the spirits of the Pokemon in the background probably makes more sense. They're, like, haunting their fossils or something. Poor Pikachu's in trouble, if that's the case. (laughs) So, night at the museum, basically.
0: Yeah, exactly. Sure is. I know know I'm not alone in this, but uh, me personally, I... Yeah, like, so I first saw the plush, the uh, Pikachu plush, that they, uh showed a picture of it, tweeted out um, on the official Pokemon Twitter. And uh, I saw this hat, and the hat is very pronounced on the plush, and it's got these big old eyes. And I was getting, like, a cappy vibe from Mario Odyssey, and so I really, it took me forever to realize that it was apparently supposed to be a Hippopotas, or whatever. Um, Like, I see that now, because Hippopotas, or however you pronounce it, is um, prevalent in the art itself, not just in the hats, but uh, as a actual representation of the pokemon but i i thought it was cappy i honestly thought it was ca- cappy and i was like how can they do this how can they like use this like from a totally different ip that i was really interested and kind of excited but uh, it's gonna be still my personal headcanon
2: i mean they did the uh mario and pikachu crossover like what was that three or four years ago now for Ooh, um, i know um, in Japan yeah, when,
0: when they dressed up pikachu as mario
2: yeah right? yeah um, it would be a little weird were, the other way around. Promo like, promo cards that, cards that were released, like, deck boxes, and then I have, like, the two mascot Pikachu, actually. I was able to pick them up um, at a Pokemon Ooh. Center that year, which was awesome. But, I mean, oh. it, it has been done. It probably could be done again.
1: <laughs>
0: nice. When the world's art, it would be a little bit fun.
1: Yeah. Oh, sure would be. Gabby, honestly, when I heard you say uh, talking about they did a recent like Pikachu and Mario crossover, I thought you were just talking about Smash Brothers, but I was no. like, no. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but also, like, yeah. technically, yes,
1: <laughs> they've been they've been buds for a long time.
2: Yeah,
0: I thought maybe we were talking about Mario Maker when you could scan in the Pikachu amiibo and play. Oh yeah, that's oh, right. They
2: took that out in the new one, didn't they?
0: I believe maybe. I mean, you can still scan amiibos on the Switch, right?
2: I don't but have I haven't seen
0: me. anybody doing it. I've died. I think you're right, though. I think they took it out.
2: I could try, but unfortunately, the only amiibo I have actually is Ness, so...
1: I also They're have all. only one amiibo. That is Wolf Link. That's funny. Like, I I only own two as well, the Wolf Link one and the Super Mario cereal box. Like, I had to try it, and I just really <laughs> wanted that box. It's 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 adorable. But speaking of Mario, let us go to our next topic here and talk about the... <laughs> Pokemon Go Invitational, which is going to be uh, commentated by a friend of the show and our very own Aaron Zhang, as well as uh, Trainer Tips, who is a pretty prominent uh, Pokemon Go figure and influencer, I believe.
2: Yeah, so I think he has one of um, the more active YouTube channels for it. Um, I I haven't met him personally, but I know I saw him like wandering around GoFest when I was there this year, um, and I you know I've seen his stuff pop up pop up on Twitter before. So, it it's an interesting combination. Like when I first heard of it, um I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think that uh trainer tips will definitely bring some of the like history and the evolution of Pokemon Go as like a competitive game, which um, is kind of an interesting subject in and of itself. And, you know, our man, uh, Aaron Cybertron Zang obviously, um, has a bunch of VGC knowledge. Um, and I think will act as a really nice bridge to bring people, you know, in not only just from like the VGC world, but also just from more, um, I guess I don't want to say traditional because I hate using that word when describing like the Pokemon video game, but like the console games, basically from that perspective. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll be able to watch it, but I'm looking forward to at least looking back on the VODs and sort of seeing how it goes. Cause, um, have you guys ever tried playing uh Go competitively before? Out of curiosity,
0: so uh, you can tell me how similar it is. But for the first time ever, actually, I think yesterday I tried out the Go battling system with the whole new Team Rocket update. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I visited a Pokestop and I faced against a. Team Rocket member. I don't know if that is similar to PvP at all.
2: So the mechanics are the same. Um, it's like the same battle system, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. th- the only big difference is just uh, like the Pokemon you bring and um, some of the rule sets they have around that. So
0: Yeah, they have like limits on the number of CP, basically the power yeah. of your Pokemon.
2: Yeah, and so what they're doing is um, they're actually running um, a modified rule set of what they ran at. Uh, go fest in chicago this year for like their competitive i don't really know what you'd call it because honestly it reminded me more of how like vgc worked in 2009 where you just kind of like won your way through like five rounds and then you got your medal and moved on um so it wasn't really a tournament but it wasn't not a tournament um <laughs> that competitive experience um where it's great league you pick six pokemon your opponent knows what six Pokemon you have. And then um, I think this part is new for, for worlds. Um, it's a best of five, which I think mm-hmm. is going to be pretty key. Um, the When you're playing Go competitively, a lot of it comes down to basically when you switch, um, because your Pokemon are essentially doing a fixed amount of damage per second, um, and you like when you play singles for the video game, you know, you want to switch so that you have your type advantage are out on the field. So you're taking less damage overall. And then you can slowly sort of, you know, grind through your opponent that way. Um, so I, I'm excited. Um, personally, like I have the six Pokemon on my game that are considered more popular in the meta. It's like, it, mm-hmm. but it's very strange because it's like Jirachi, Medicham, altaria, um a grass type which is either venusaur or a tropi- tropius depending on what part of the world you live in or how lucky oh, you are when it comes to or yeah, how how lucky you are when it comes to trading. Um azumarill and then um there's a few other ones you can put in that last slot, but um mm-hmm. it's just a very different kind of game. So I'm I'm excited. Also, I really That's want to what see I wanted to play yeah uh
0: is uh, the like what are the what are the core skills in Pokemon go's competitive scene uh I don't really understand it just coming from a much more casual go player's uh you know background where uh from what I know when you fight uh raids it's just tap 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 so why is it different why does it actually involve skill from both players ends
2: It's predictions um and I'm probably one of the more uh, most unexperienced people, when it comes to go competitively, like I really just watched um, uh, my fiance Chalky play through um the league at GoFest, and then you know I've seen stuff here and there from friends as well. Um, but it- it's you know picking the Pokemon that you want on the field and then optimizing its board position so that as you both go tap 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 and deal your set you know amount of damage per second. Or when you activate your um, charge moves, which you know used to be based off of just how quickly you could tap the screen, but they recently added a balance patch where you have to like swipe in these patterns, kind of like the Harry like, Potter stuff. Actually, um, I was to, gonna say, remind you know, me of get the like, maximum power, um, like a
0: rhythm game, Guitar Hero or something. I don't know, like I, I don't know what to compare it to, but it's it's fun. I like. Yeah,
2: it. Yeah, it's not it's not really a rhythm game. It's it's more just like pattern swiping.
1: I- anyways yes, yes yeah it's uh it's patterns like uh just kind of related to each individual type and you know they kind of I like to that make a lot somewhat relevant yeah it's it's neat it's a bit, it's a nice update from what they had previously yeah um,
2: definitely
1: agreed but like uh, in terms of like me competitively in pokemon go i'm also coming from a casual point of view as well um i know uh yeah, other, yeah i just mostly play for fun don't really know too much about the uh, competitive background for pokemon go at least um, I know, like, for this, they have, like, this little, uh, invitational, there are seven notable figures, and then, uh, some lucky fans gonna be able to, uh, register f- to be, be one of the, uh, that final last competitor for a eight-person bracket, which is, uh, which you mentioned already is best of five, I think it's double elimination as well. Um, oh, it
2: is? Oh, that's interesting.
1: I think I saw that on the website, so, uh, if it is double elimination, it is a double elimination tournament, yes, that is correct, so... Um yeah, just checked on that. But so that's pretty cool. Some lucky fan will be able to be in that group. Um there's a whole bunch of stipulations and you got to register within like 48 hours of the announcement or something. Um and you So have that'll probably
2: to have already purchased your spectator badge too, I think, which is pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, that too. So like there are a lot of prerequisites and um this will all this registration stuff will probably be done by the time the episode is this episode is goes up, but um, this is gonna be kind of cool, fun thing to watch because we never really see, uh, Masuda in action in terms of, like, playing a game, really.
2: I want to see his team. Like, I know he's a big fan of Psyduck. I-, I really hope that he has a Psyduck with him. Like...
1: Wait, wait, wait,
0: wait, wait. So Masuda is in the tournament? He is, yeah. Yes, he is. That's so awesome.
2: I know. I-, I wish I could enter because then, like, I want to battle Masuda. That'd be so much fun. Mm-hmm.
1: What? This is so cool. Yeah, the other the other person, like, in terms of uh, from uh, Pokemon or Game Freak or Nintendo is Shigeki Morimoto, um, who is the game designer. And the other five, I believe, uh, I, I believe are just like other YouTubers or like, you know, significant Pokemon Go players or something like that. I don't recognize the names, to be honest.
2: Yeah, I only had like a few minutes this morning to look at the Go related announcements because I was too busy freaking out about the Pikachu, honestly. Um, but I, I think it's going to be really entertaining to watch and I'm hoping this is g- going to be an indication of more of these events in the future. You know, obviously, I don't want Go to replace VGC or VGC to continue to outrank Go, I guess. But there- there's a world where they can coexist and I'm, I think that would be a lot of fun. And plus it would bring uh more people to tournaments which is always a good thing. It would yeah. be
0: really cool to see both games grow.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, speaking like really selfish selfishly from a VGC perspective, like this is a nice like they're already making a lot of steps of integrating Pokemon Go players into like the regular main franchise games the mainline franchise games so this is a really smart way to you know get them excited about playing pokemon go at the world championships hopefully they're gonna they're gonna repeat this process again for future ones and this is a really good like build up for sword and shield which is only you know gonna be three months away now come august so um this is a really smart move on their part uh i like this a lot uh it's gonna be really exciting too definitely so that's enough of our uh, World's Pikachu and the Pokemon Go Invitational. Let's uh, talk about uh, commentary, which we uh, briefly like previewed and foreshadowed right in the beginning of the show. <laughs> but um, Gabby, we just want to talk to you about your work in commentary for the VGC side of things. Um, you know, really just talk to us about it in general. Uh, you know, how you got started. Uh, you originally did start as a player, like most of the commentators did as well, and uh, moved into commentary. But uh, just talk to us about that whole experience and, you know, what it's all been like. And we'll uh, just ask you questions as we go along here.
2: Yeah. Um. Okay. That that gives me a pretty uh, a wide pool. So <laughs> feel free to interrupt <laughs> um at any point because I, I feel like I've told this story in a few places now. So I don't really know mm-hmm. what's me repeating myself and what's actually interesting um but as you said um you know i did start as a player um i actually like started going to pokemon tournaments way back um i participated in JAA back in 2006 but i was really bad back then so we don't talk about that um <laughs> same and same <laughs> but uh, i also played
1: and i was also bad <laughs>
2: yeah but in uh in 2015 um i i qualified for worlds that that was my big year um, I actually did really well in retrospect, but at the time, um, I went X and three, uh, which, so four three out of seven rounds, um, basically bubbling out of what would be considered day two by today's standards. Um, but I took that loss pretty hard. Um, th- there was a bit of RNG, a bit of just other stuff in my head, and as a result, like, I kind of burnt out from playing. Um, I-, I didn't really want to compete in pokemon anymore but i still wanted to be involved somehow so at first i tried to like power through it and that was when i started streaming because i figured oh well if i'm like playing with friends online then i won't tilt which was only somewhat accurate um but i realized that um i had a lot of fun sort of you know being able to experience games with others and it wasn't so much about me when it came to you know my reason for competing i I did it so i could hang out with friends and like just being able to sort of talk through that um and like sort of figure out that was something i really enjoyed um ahead of time meant that um when i was asked in 2016 as a part of the uh, florida regional championships if i wanted to be on the commentary team i was you know i was very open to it um it, it was a big step. Like, part of me was like, why am I not competing? Like, it, does this mean I'm done? But I had so much fun. I mean, that show was run by, uh, TJ and Adam Doricott, who's also one of the official casters now. Um, and yeah, t- yeah. And TJ helps out a lot backstage, um, which I think is pretty cool. We've, we've all kind of like made it somehow, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, true.
1: That, that Florida regional in 2016, was that your first time on commentary?
2: First time ever.
1: Cool. Um how like wh- what were you thinking when you were jumping into it? You know, how nervous were you for it?
2: So, nervous is kind of a weird word um for me at least. Um not to invalidate anybody else's like nerves or whatever, but um growing up as a kid, I did a lot of music performance. So, like being in front of people and performing comes very naturally to me just because I've done it for far too long. So, like, that part of it I was fine with. Um, I-, I think I was more anxious about, um, like, saying something stupid, I guess, which honestly has never gone away. I just kind of learned to deal with it now. Um, I-, I was worried that, like, people would listen to what I was saying and think, like, oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about or you know, kind of take like the backseat gamer approach to it. Like, oh, well, if I were so and so, I would press this button and do this move. And, um, which, which is totally a thing that happens regardless. Um, so I think it was just kind of like just anxiety over the inevitable. Um, but it, it was, um, I, I tried to offset that by practicing as much as I could. And at the time that just meant, you know, streaming a lot. Um And trying to get used to explaining my thought process on camera so that when I was watching somebody else play, I could just be like, oh, well, I think this is what they're thinking, um, which is really hard to do. Like, I-, I think that some of the really good players for Pokemon and maybe you guys can chime in like you sort of get like the like gist of that when you're looking at a board position and you're looking at your opponent and trying to figure out what you're going to do but then to be able to do that for like both sides at once is it takes a while to get used to. It's a different mm-hmm. like perspective if that makes sense.
0: Almost everybody when they're watching a game, they seem to take a side, often for the player that they're rooting for. Um and it's very hard to see things from both positions because um normally you think a couple of turns ahead and you think well, if they do this, they do this, or they do this. But then that completely changes when you go to the other side of the board and they think you think about all the options they have present to them so
2: yeah it's it's exactly. yeah it's very
0: tricky to handle both sides
2: Yeah and it's it's very hard to um sort of convey that as well um I mean there are certainly matches that I go back and listen to and I know that I was being biased towards a certain player just because I know how my brain was thinking at that point in time but to be able to sort of like you know say this is what trainer a is doing this is what trainer b is doing and this is how it's going to affect both of them and just sort of remain um impartial was uh very hard for me to do at first
1: yeah i understand how that can be like really difficult just for like any commentator anyone um looking to both just watch the game and play the game as well yeah like because it's just a it's just a natural tendency to pick one side because then it's easier to kind of explain the thought process from that that point of view but like when you need to, like, I guess, zoom out the camera a little bit, and then try to pick out options and um, what both players are thinking at the same time, that can be re- yeah, like you were saying, that's pretty hard to um, get that message across, and sometimes, sometimes, you know, uh, I guess players, players and the spectators uh, can be really critical of that when you're not necessarily um, providing the best, I guess, the options for both players, and, you know, they're missing critical things or whatever, but it's like, You got to be as, uh, I guess, indifferent as possible as a commentator, which can be hard to do.
2: Yeah, and I I definitely don't want to dismiss, like, there are times where I think storylines kind of come into play and... You want to lean into one side more. Um, maybe because they're the underdog and they're actually at, like, you know, in the lead or, um, you know, something else has happened external to that game that makes it more exciting to view the match from that person's perspective. But you always have to like pull it back. And I think one of the things that I did when I first sort of transitioned into commentary that really helped me personally is, um, I had, basically spent um, you know, hours just kind of watching people play, you know, whether it was on Twitch, um, online via other means, um, you know, watching back uh play playbacks from other trainers from other tournaments. Um, and I had just gotten to the point where I sort of stopped visualizing myself in someone's shoes in a game, which is kind of how I looked at things as a player, uh, pretty much up until that point. Um, and I mean, I don't think I necessarily felt comfortable doing sort of taking that perspective. I mean, even now, I still have moments where I feel like I could have done better. But um, it it's I think it's really important, especially when you're first making that transition to just kind of put yourself in the viewer's shoes and just try and view the, you know, the battle or the game just as that as a game. And if if you were watching purely for entertainment, you know, what would you be interested in you know, what do these sides look like? How, how's the board? And sort of build up that perspective. So I, if that makes sense, I, I feel like it's one of those things that's really hard to sort of like explain. Cause after a certain point, I mean, I've been doing commentary for what, like three years now. <laughs> um, it, it just became second nature. And as ironic as it is, sometimes I find myself, you know, lacking words to describe stuff like this. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, that's okay. These, you know, these are just some of the challenges that come along with being a commentator. Uh, in terms of like the play-by-play versus the color commentary, yeah. Um, what what role do you primarily fit into? Do you or do you do both? And like, um, what do you? Which one do you? I guess you do. You prefer or find easier? If 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 you do find it easy at all.
2: Um, th- no, that's a really good question because I think one of the strengths that Adam and I have as a team. Um, when we work together is that we're very comfortable switching between both roles um, It it's definitely something that's taken a lot of practice um, when I started out I only did play by play because honestly it wasn't that I didn't think I could do color I was just really nervous again about saying something stupid and then having like that backlash about it Um, so I thought, oh, I'll just be play by play because I can do that. Like I can describe the board positioning. I can sort of lead my color commentator along and tell them, Hey, maybe you should focus on this. Um, but then it also turns out that (laughs) I can be a little bit monotone at times, which is not the most exciting thing for a play by play person. So um that was when I started to try and lean on a little bit more color and to kind of bake that analysis into my play by play. Um and it kind of worked out that at the same time, Adam was in a position where he had started with color, and then he was, you know, getting steered more towards play by play. So when we work together, we kind of just fluidly swap between the two. And I mean, I think it works out really well for us. And and I like being in that kind of role where you do both. Because, you know, given the pace of a game, given, um, you know, the trainers on the field, like if it's Wolf, for example, playing somebody, Wolf's play style is like, Wolf versus Nails, let's say. Like, you know, they're going to be taking the full 45 seconds per turn, regardless of what's going on. So to be able to have. Agreed there. No offense to those two guys. I love them. I love commentating their games because you just have so much time. You can actually go into the color and you can have a good conversation with your co-caster about it before one of you who usually it's whoever's talking last will just make the transition into okay here's here's the you know what's going on on screen and what it means and blah 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 so um i i i think that um as as I feel more confident, I-, I definitely find myself preferring a little bit more color. But again, I, I really like this role where you can kind of do both and sort of switch back and forth depending on the circumstances. Just because I think it leads to a better cast.
1: Awesome. So, who is your who is your um, I guess favorite partner to work with in terms of uh, commentary? And who um, I guess how well how how much does synergy play into how well a uh, cast can work together?
2: So. I'm going to answer that in reverse order.
1: (laughs) Go for it. Synergy
2: is crazy important. Um, I think that I'm very fortunate that most of the casters I've worked with um, over the past few years are just people that I get along with in general. Um, I mean, everybody in the Pokemon community, I feel like we have this common bond um, just because it's such a unique hobby. Um, And especially to be like this deep into it. Um, having that common ground, I think, really helps build up this, like, nice sort of conversational flow between people. But that being said, it's definitely something you have to practice. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to pick a favorite because I love all, like, my co casters, both, um, on grassroots, like through Critical Hit or through the official channel, um, equally, but, um you do have to practice talking with that person in a commentary way because you know when we're having a conversation um off camera or just not um you know not during a game Um, you can kind of just talk and then you kind of fade out a little bit and then the other person will jump in and you know it it has that like natural flow but in the context of a game you really have to sort of keep to the time windows and in order to get that um, flow naturally I think just takes a lot of time and um, Adam's definitely the person I've worked with the most Um, at NAIC I think I commentated with him like 8 out of my 10 games or something like that Um, so we've definitely had the most time to uh, build up that conversation um flow a lot but like if you go back to when i was in uh latin america um i think that was two years ago now um or no 2018 so it's just last year um but what felt like two formats ago so anyways um when it was just me and dwee there all weekend um (laughs) Like it, it was great because I, I could feel ourselves just like really sort of lock in on, okay, you know, I know what this person's gonna be doing now. I can understand their cadences and when they're passing to me and all that kind of stuff. Um so like having having that, I guess, uh, groundwork is really helpful. Um and I, I really appreciate the opportunities I have to kind of build that with people um usually it's just through a lot of practice like before an event so
0: so i had two uh questions one hopefully a little easier and one uh (laughs) a little more in depth but uh the uh oh hold on i'm losing the easy one what was it
2: you can start with the hard (laughs) Uh, one that's okay
0: we're just gonna we're just gonna have to start with the hard one because i'm gonna let my brain wander its way back to the easy one uh but the uh that one was basically just a what was, like, a favorite set of yours? It's just not, maybe not too difficult of to a question, but, like, what's a favorite set that you've got the chance to commentate uh, for any other reason? And then, okay, while so- I, before I, before I, hold on, before I forget, I did remember the minor question, which okay. was, uh, I wanted to ask what it's like uh, when you're off stream helping the commentary team out, whether it's picking matches and stuff like that. I just wanted to dive a bit more in. Yeah. on what you, that's like if you can talk about that because I always thought that's interesting yeah
2: no I definitely can talk about that um, so uh, picking matches um, I, I don't think people realize that we literally have like a minute maybe two minutes if we're lucky to sort of look at the list of players and pull a name out of a hat basically um, because the TOs don't wait um, for the stream to sort of say we want table one and table two for example Um, so it's a lot of, um, sort of downtime while you're waiting for pairings to go up of just looking at who's, um, X and O at the moment, or, you know, maybe someone who has a really interesting storyline that you heard about going into the tournament. Um, one of the things that I like to do, uh, once I can say, you know, Oh, I'll be at this event or whatever, is to reach out to people on Twitter and be like, Hey, Tell me about yourself. Tell me what you're running. Like, do you have anything that would make your story interesting for viewers? Because when it comes to that 2-minute window when it's time to, you know, pick somebody, having that kind of context already baked in uh really helps make a quick decision. Um, but usually what we tend to do is focus on um, the people who, you know, are doing well. Um, if uh-huh. it's an international event, we'll try to highlight, um, oh, you know, here's Latin America versus, uh, you know, Oceania or just those more like, um, I guess international th- matchups that you don't get to see of outside of the world championships. Um, yeah. and then for, for locals, for like regionals um my favorite is to find like the one or two people who are just having their like breakout event and just be like all right you're up you know you went five and oh congratulations show us what you got kind of thing um yeah but
1: i I think that's really cool
2: yeah it's it's definitely a um i think every caster approaches it differently i like to focus more on storylines and the opportunity in that regard um but that being said, you know I've said this on Twitter. I'll say it again. If I say that I'm going to an event and you want to be on stream, uh, you know, feel free to reach out. You know, my DMs are always open. Uh, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your team. Um, and you know, tell me why you should be on stream. Because when I again, when it comes down to that one or two minutes, the more I know ahead of time, the the better decision I feel like I make. Um, but that being yeah. said, you can't really. You, oh, sorry. I was gonna
0: say you can't. You can't please everybody so uh, that's something else that I was just wondering about uh, is it seems so hard to balance the showing known players versus showing new players and their success because uh, so many people want to see Wolf Glick on stream and you know it is good for the stream because he's such a known person and you know like oh I really want to see him on stream I want to root for him I want to get behind him he's my VGC hero. Uh, and then, you know, you have, uh, somebody who's breaking out for the first time, they go 7-0 and or something, uh, and nobody's ever seen their name, maybe it's their first tournament, um, but because you don't recognize their name, maybe, uh, like, you know, how do you balance that exactly, you know, between they're, showing reputable players and showing new ones? Oh, sorry.
2: Um, unfortunately, there really is no formula, um...
0: You like, can't place I, everybody.
2: Yeah, like, I... Personally, um, it really depends on who they're facing. Um, a lot of times if somebody has already been on stream, um, like sort of regardless of the setup, I'll pick two people who haven't been on stream yet um, just to try and share the uh, love around a little bit. Um, but there have been times and I wish I could point my finger and say, like, this is an example of that, but I honestly can't remember any right now. Or, like, you just look at the pairings and you see a matchup pop up and you're just like, oh, my God, like, we need to show that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. I I wish that um, we had more capabilities to at least, like, record matches for stuff that we can't feature on stream so that way people can go back and look. Um, But that's definitely not technically possible (laughs) like even Uh even on like the official events um it it would just be too much of a hassle um but you know maybe someday they'll allow us to save more than like one or two replays for example um that'd be nice yeah but that that's kind of looking forward to a future topic (laughs) um
0: so to bring it back to my other question, yeah. yeah, exactly, go on.
2: Uh, So two matches jumped out, and I'm going to do kind of a poor summary of these two matches, because um cards on the table, both of these were like my last cast of the day kind of situations where my brain was just like absolute mush. Like if you would have asked me anything outside of the realm of Pokemon, I probably just would have stared at you and then made like a drooly face and then went back to, I don't know, thinking about like, mega kangascons or whatever was the medical at the time. Um, (laughs) do commentators just
0: go out to dinner afterwards and just like not say
1: anything
2: i've done that actually
1: (laughs) (laughs) let me just eat in peace Uh, i've been talking all day i
2: feel so bad um this is going to be a bit of a tangent but i just want to apologize to anybody who's seen me after a day of casting at an event and if i just look very grumpy or very upset or very angry or just otherwise unsociable it's not you like please just feel free to come up and say hi anyways because i've had a few people tell me like i didn't want to say anything because you just looked really upset it's just like the energy burn and i will snap out of it like immediately once someone is like oh my god i'm so excited to talk to you it's just like there's there there needs to be some downtime <laughs> but anyways um So in 2017 Worlds, I had the opportunity of casting uh, the Japan versus Japan top four match. Um, It went to game three. It was crazy hype. Um, Adam and I were like literally jumping out of our chairs. Like it was so exciting. Um, And that was definitely a favorite because I think that was the first time that I really kind of felt that energy from a game. Excuse me. And I know that's kind of a weird thing to say, because at that point, you know, I certainly wasn't a stranger to the official cast or anything, but like, that was my first time working worlds. And having come off of a couple of years of just really sort of rough personal experiences um, that were completely unrelated to anything Pokemon, really, Um, going in 2017, like having that moment it was just something I'm always going to remember because it just reminded me like this is what it was worth, or, or this is why it was all worth it kind of thing. Um, and it, it just, it was so much fun. Um, and I, I think about that moment a lot, especially when I'm like a little bit tired or whatever, just to sort of like have that little rush of adrenaline to sort of bring me back in. Um, and like I said, it's something I'm always going to treasure for that reason. Um, and then my second, uh, match that I think I'll always remember, um, was actually from 2018 Worlds last year, um, when, uh, Diana Bross, when she won her winning in for day two, um, (laughs) that, okay, cards on the table, that was definitely one of those matches where I went back and I watched it and you could tell I was, like, the most biased commentator and I felt so bad in retrospect, but I was really pushing for her to win, you know, she was. She's someone that I really. It's look tough up when
0: you're watching a friend, you know. Yeah,
2: and she's someone I really look up to, um, as a player. Honestly, like I-, I think that she has um a resilience that I wish that I kind of had back when I was taking things more seriously from a competitive standpoint. So to be able to cast that game for her and then to be able to interview her afterwards. Um, I know normally Anna does it, but, um, I kind of asked if I could do it and she said yes. And I was just like, yes. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, no. And I just, I was so happy to be that person to celebrate her accomplishments in that moment. And again, mm-hmm. it's just something that I'm always going to treasure.
0: Um, and you're, you're just kind of preaching to the choir here because Diana's one of Steven and I's <laughs> local players. So we're, we're big Diana fans here as well.
1: I, yeah, I figured, I figured I'd get it's away great. with this
2: story with you guys. Not gonna lie.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess, uh, I guess, uh, also going along with, um, you're saying how Diana is kind of an uh, inspiring player to you. Who among like the commentators, um, you know, like whether it's Pokemon related or maybe other games related, who like inspires you in terms of the work you do there?
2: So um that's a really tough question because I think when I was first like trying out commentary for myself I actually didn't really um I mean obviously I watched the Pokemon like the official casts but I wanted to try and find my own voice so I looked to a lot of um outside inspiration um for that kind of stuff which is hard because I, I don't think Pokemon really has a game that it necessarily matches to in terms of like commentary style and Um, just how you approach things from a technical perspective, I guess. Um, so Anna was actually one of the people who inspired me originally, just because I think that, um, the way that she approaches like, um, you know, interviewing people and how she basically is there to celebrate the other person's accomplishments is something that I really took to heart. Um, when i'm trying to talk about a game especially from like a when i'm doing like juniors finals for something um my goal isn't to necessarily explain all the technical nuances of a game i think you can go into twitch chat or twitter or social media of choice and kind of get that information um but it's to highlight to people who de- don't necessarily know they could go those places like, Hey, this is why your kid is really awesome. Or, you know, this is, this is really cool that this person's doing. Um, it's nice to be able to point out stuff like that. Um, you know, still within the competitive context of a game. Um, I think that as I've like sort of matured, I've also looked a lot to, um, some of the Hearthstone-like casts, and like a lot of Overwatch recently, actually, which is weird, because I like, never play Overwatch. Ah. Like, yeah, I, I literally don't own the game, but um, I really like how their circuit's built, and I think it's a lot of fun from like a, I have zero context of this game, like, let me, or tell me what's going on kind of perspective. Um,
1: I don't think
0: there's anything wrong with that. I think some of the most enjoyable esports can be the ones that you don't even play yourself.
2: Yeah, and... Like I was honestly, anytime Twitch has an eSport on the front page, um, usually I'll just have it on in the background um, just to kind of see what jumps out at me is interesting. And then if there's something I really like, I'll try and, you know, maybe work it into um, my toolbox, I guess is what I call it. Um, But I'm trying to think, like, if there's anybody else name wise that's jumping out at me. And the only other one I can think of is uh, Frost Curran from uh, the EULCS. But, um, mostly because I want to be her, like, fashion sense. But that's, like, neither oh, here nor gotcha. there. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's hard. Pokemon's definitely a unique game to commentate. And, um, I hope that, uh, people who are kind of, you know, want to jump into the space themselves, Um, kind of look to like the official cast look to critical hit um, look to nugget bridge to see sort of how we run things because there are a lot of nuances that um, again you just don't really find in other esports
1: yeah i think uh, probably one of the trickiest things with the um, just doing pokemon in general is trying to cater to both the general casual pokemon fan as well as the Competitive one who's also knows everything about the mechanics and all that how well- how uh I guess how difficult is that to strike the balance there so
2: for me, I think I've given up on it, and I don't mean to say that there's one set of fans who are more like valid than the other. Um, I, I think I've just found something that works for me, and I've decided that regardless of how people feel about it, I'm going to stick with it because, one, it works for me, and two, I have gotten decent feedback from both sides about it. You know, not all positive, obviously, but it, it balances out enough where I'm just like, okay, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, But what I do personally is I'll start off a game or a tournament, and I'll just assume the viewer knows nothing. Like Incineroar comes out on the field. It has Intimidate. What does Intimidate do? It drops your physical attack by one stage. Okay, great. We set it. It's out of the way. Let's like, next time that comes up, let's not mention it. (laughs) Um, And just sort of like build that knowledge throughout the tournament. Um, Now that there are uh, more VODs being posted, like from round to round, I'll tend to just kind of do like a little reset at the beginning of every round where I'll like mention it in passing um I, I like to use intimidate and Cinema as an example because it's like literally everywhere um <laughs> we like i'll say oh yeah the attacks dropped the stage okay again established moving on um it, and i won't really it sounds bring like it up like you do ag-
0: like this own like you sounds like you do this like curriculum almost like a curriculum that builds on itself as you go like throughout the whole tournament subconsciously you know, starting simple and then going more and more in depth
2: yeah and I'll admit, I, I definitely cut off the depth at a certain point, because um, like unless it's incredibly relevant to the matchup, and I feel like the only time that I can remember this happening recently was at NAIC, I want to say it was Ashton versus uh, Kevin Reed. And I, I'm like 90% sure I commentated that match, but I actually haven't watched it back yet. So I could have just been sitting there and thinking about it at the, at which point I apologize. It was a long weekend. Um, but, um. <laughs> Anyways, you know, they both had Groudon, um, Xerneas, Mega Kangaskhan, Tornadus, and they would always lead Mega Kangaskhan, Tornadus with Groudon, Xerneas in the back. And that was for three games. And it was very like this very interesting microcosm of that like curriculum, like you said, because... You know, after game one, the viewers know what the lead does. The viewer knows that the Tornadus is going to have to use the Fly EMZ crystal so that uh, Z Tailwind won't be taunted and like all that stuff. So it really allowed me to like dive into the mind games that were going on in there. And I love that. Um, But opportunities like that don't always come up. And that's okay. Like, I think it's more important to sort of, you know, provide enough information for. Beginning players so that they can follow along and appreciate the in-depth analysis that you give the um you know more experienced players and for those players who do have more experience, um like I said, you know they're most most likely they're chatting about it somewhere else, so they're still having that interaction with the stream um it's just you know maybe not as catered to um as some people would like and personally, like I'm okay with that. Um I again I like the balance that I've found personally. I I like that I can sort of like teach people as the weekend goes on like, you know, this is why this game is fun, this is why this game is interesting. Um so yeah, I I forget where where I was going with that, but um it's it, it's a very hard to strike that balance and um yeah, I I found what works for me. That that's the TLDR. <laughs>
1: yeah that's good yeah. I feel like most of us most of us as competitive players um, we're going to be able to understand um both both levels of difficulty or I guess both levels of the commentary whether it's advanced or more beginner friendly so I think we're all set with that now is it no are, wait
0: is it TLDL because like um, too long didn't I mean like we're not this isn't a reading medium
2: I'm going to leave that up uh-huh. to the viewers unless, unless or, listeners. Oh, I,
0: wow. very good what if there's somebody Gigi, out there reading, well like, the transcript?
1: <laughs> that was very good, yeah. Maybe there is somebody out there just reading this all.
2: Good for them.
1: <laughs> oh, gosh. I am not... Is uh, someone going to write a transcript for us? That would be insane. Wait, you don't already do that, Stephen? I'm not doing that. No, <laughs> oh. I'm not doing that. Get out of here. You told,
0: you told me you do uh, that for every episode.
1: Oh, my gosh. That would put so many more hours into the work. Anyway, um, so, Kevin, you've done streams for, like... Um, uh, Critical hit, Nugget Bridge, which are more grassroots, as well as being on the official team for the Pokemon Company International. What are some of like, the biggest uh differences, or maybe smallest differences, you can tell us about each one? Or each, like, first of the two media there.
2: <laughs> well, honestly, the first thing that jumped out to me, and I'll admit, I- I'm not this vain of a person but this is going to sound really bad Um, is that when I do official streams, they actually usually bring in like a makeup person. And then for grassroots streams, I'm stuck doing it on my, by myself.
1: Uh (laughs) So
2: it's always like this nice moment of pampering, honestly, like even though you have to get there like an hour and a half earlier or whatever, to get like your hair and makeup done. It's like, Oh, this is nice. I look beautiful. Okay. I don't have to worry about this. (laughs) Um, But again, totally self-serving. I would do commentary, like, even if I had to wear, like, a paper bag or whatever, because I just love it that much. (laughs) But in terms, in terms of more relevant differences, um, I think uh it's interesting that you bring it up because for grassroots I feel like the production value it's kind of all over the place and that's okay. Um I think if anybody's listening to this um podcast and they're wondering what they can do to um sort of mimic the official stream honestly just get a really good microphone for you and your co-caster um and then just keep the overlays like simple. Um just because uh you know when i'm sitting and talking like it, it doesn't really matter um at least to me um as long as i can see the game screen like what's going on in terms of um you know the flashing lights and colors and everything um i, I think that it's more important that the um viewer experience is sort of unhindered um and one thing i really like about how um you know the, the official stream is set up is that um You know, yes, we have the fancy like desk area and there's the flashy graphics and stuff. But once the game starts, like the game is the focus of their overlay. It's the focus of the commentary. Um, You know, we don't sound like we're talking through a sponge or like one of those kazoo things or whatever. Um, And it's just really simple and really clean. Um, So... Like and other than that, I mean, there there certainly is a little bit more um, pomp and circumstance, I think, to, you know, being on the official stream. Um, You know, there's more practice involved. Um, You know, we have like rehearsals, Um, whereas there there have definitely been times with grassroots streams where I've like shown up the morning of and just like you know down to a few cups of coffee and just been like all right we're going for it and <laughs> yeah
1: time to start hop yeah, on yeah and
2: and i feel like personally my performance always kind of reflects that so i i really do like taking extra time i think around the official streams personally just to kind of get into that mindset so that my performance is there um but it, it's it's a lot more similar than you'd think and i i think that's more credit to the Nugget Bridge and Critical Hit crews than anything else. You know, I think that they run a really good show. um, And they've sort of taken what they've learned from watching the official cast. I mean, obviously, Adam works with Critical Hit. Dwee works with Nugget Bridge. And they're both experienced professional casters. Well, experienced official casters as well. Um, So they know sort of what these take-homes are. Um, but that would be what I'd pass along to anybody else who's looking to sort of break into commentary. Um, like you don't need to like match all the like bells and whistles that you see from these other productions, you know, just make sure you focus on the gameplay and make sure it sounds nice. And, um, from there, you know, the commentary kind of just follows. Um, I can't really think of anything else like it it's it's very similar from my perspective otherwise
1: (laughs) yeah i can imagine it's just like when you're a player and you go to a tournament whether it's a regional international or worlds um you really just got to think i'm just playing pokemon let's keep it simple i'm just in another tournament all the um you know celebrations and all the stuff going around or going on around you may be different but fundamentally it's just another tournament we're playing pokemon again it's really kind of a uh I guess a sad way to look at it but you need to be focused and honed in on the game. Um but I do have two last questions for you. Yeah, sure. Uh my first one is um so normally you're next to your caster when uh your partner caster when you're doing these matches. So do you usually have like any kind of visual cues, um, in terms of like stuff you're gonna say or stuff you're going to maybe like pass on or anything like that?
2: Um, personally, no. Um, I try to use my tone of voice to indicate when I'm like ending a sentence. Um, there have been times where I've thrown stuff at people. <laughs> um, <laughs> it might
1: wait like physically thrown yeah, something.
2: It might have happened. Oh, twice. awesome. <laughs> Um, once on a grassroots stream and once on an official stream but in my defense my co-caster was not paying attention and I was trying I was like talking for a while (laughs) and I was like trying to signal the pass and they just again were not paying attention and I really had to cough like really badly (laughs) so I grabbed a pen and kind of just chucked it (laughs) Um, I would not recommend that by the way (laughs) <laughs> um,
0: you know, gotta communicate it somehow.
2: I yeah. I mean, when world when uh, words fail you, I guess. Um, but usually, like um, the way that they have, or the way that I'll like adjust monitors on the desk um, for grassroots streams, is so that when you're looking, like picture you're sitting next to your co caster, and then you turn to look at them, and then behind them in your field of view is a screen with the game on it. Um, and then likewise, there'll usually be a second monitor on the other side of the desk so that your co-caster can do the same. So it's really easy to sort of, like, you know, maintain eye contact with that person while also keeping an eye on the game. Um, and as a result, like, you you learn to anticipate. Um, and, and that's why I try to signal with my voice as much as possible. So then um, my caster's like, oh, she's doing that thing where she's, you know, talking really loud. And then ending on a like lower note okay i'm gonna step in now um but i i want to say that other people have um different ways like i know that i've seen some people get very animated before but i've always i i think that's more just like the match and just wanting to say something (laughs) than anything else
1: okay cool yeah because normally like when we watch games um we get to hear everyone doing their commentary but we don't get to see you, but uh, you as behind the desk, uh, you know, doing any of that stuff. So I was just kind of curious it's for about the that. Best.
2: I make I make faces at the camera like the entire time, so <laughs> it's for the best.
1: <laughs> and uh, my last question is: What Pokemon do you dislike seeing on a person's team only for the reason of pronunciation? Oh. I know Alex and I are very particular about that. Who do you not like seeing on a team mainly because it's hard to say its name all the time?
2: That's mean. And I feel like, I mean, I know you guys aren't personally attacking me, but I feel very personally attacked, right? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, To give you some context, um, so when we were in Brazil, um, that was, like, the first time I think that I spent an extended time um, with Jay, who was on the commentary team. He was actually producing um, that weekend. And uh, for those of you who might not know, uh, Jay, Jay Blake, he... He used to commentate on the EU team. Um he actually works on the Pokemon animation. So he knows like everything.
1: Yeah.
2: And he will call you out on that a
1: lot. Oh, that's so cool <laughs> to hear.
2: So that entire weekend, um you know, we we can hear the production guys in the back when there's something that comes up. Um so I would just hear in my ear, Gabby, it's Ferrothorn. It's Ferrothorn. Oh, like no. every single time somebody sent a Ferrothorn on the field, um, so I have nothing against the Pokemon personally, except for this like tragic experience from my life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Ferrothorn is definitely one of those ones where I'm just like, I, I wake up at night and I'm just like Ferrothorn or whatever. So,
1: <laughs> oh no, that's so disheartening because I always say Ferrothorn. It's not. I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm ever going to change that. Oh, that's, oh my gosh, I'm heartbroken. I will
2: tell you the secret that Jay told me. Um, If you have the 5th Gen Pokedex app that was released on 3DS and iOS and Android, um, that obviously- Yeah, Alex talked about this. Yep, that-
0: I warned you, Steven. I told you.
2: (laughs) So that has all the pronunciations up to 5th Gen. And then for anything else after that, obviously there was no Pokedex app released, but- the animation does have, um, you know, the cur- correct pronunciations, courtesy of Jay. So um, there'll be a lot of times where, like, if something is weird coming up in the meta that, like, I wasn't expecting, I'll just, like, you know, be Googling Pokemon anime, like, Zebstrika or whatever. Um, I don't know why that Pokemon jumped into my head, because that's even 5th gen. It's, j-
0: it's, still, gen anyways, it's still gen 5. But so. uh,
2: let's just say Rallet. I mean, everybody knows how to say "rallet," but like, you know, and I'll, I'll look for clips and then I'll just be like, oh, okay. Um, I was also really disheartened recently to learn that it is, uh, Rayquaza, not Rayquaza. No.
1: That one, oh. Uh. That one,
2: like, I have to say it to myself, like, probably 10 times before I do a cast with, uh, Rayquaza in it because I will still default to Rayquaza. It's really bad.
0: <laughs> Wait, isn't that in uh Jay Blake's y- uh, username, isn't it?
2: It yes. Wait, is it was is he, does he still
0: go by Ray Quay J or does he not anymore? He
2: doesn't anymore. He's JB Castor now on Twitter. Um uh, I love but, you J. But he used but, to be, right? Yeah. And I literally just got that joke, like, at NAIC this year. Like not I'm not even gonna lie, that's how long it took. <laughs> so fun facts. I <laughs> I I feel like though, um like, this is just a personal thing, but when I was learning to read as a kid, um, I just kind of read books a lot, and I didn't necessarily, like, check pronunciation on anything. I, my brain just kind of made up sounds for um, what I thought words were, and unfortunately for me, a lot of that um, was also via, like, the Pokemon games, so there's a lot of weird ones that'll just, like, pop up out of the woodwork sometimes, and I'm just like, oh... Okay, and then I just, you know, add it to my little mental list, and then next time I'm, like, warming up or, you know, doing whatever, I'll just start, like, repeating them to myself in an attempt to fix it. (laughs) So.
1: Okay, perfect. So that's going to conclude our portion on commentary here for the show. Now, we also wanted to talk about some of our hopes for the future mainly for the VGC 2020 season. Maybe some of these will apply to uh, even further beyond, but we're looking forward to a brand new season coming up after the world championships. And I know we, people want us to talk about worlds and we're going to be doing that in the next week or so uh, a lot because uh, time's running out, but let's do a quick um, where each of us are going to present our hopes for the VGC 2020 season. Um, So, do what? What should we go do here? Should we just like alternate every every announcement, or just everyone to go through their list and then we can talk about it? Uh, how about we
0: just have one person go through their list?
1: Okay, sweet. So, um, I guess I'll just lead us off here and just go through mine. Of uh, I have five hopes for. Well, like generally we were supposed to come up with five, but if you have less, that's okay. But my five were: my first one is for locals. For premier challenges or mid-season showdowns, I don't feel like we need both. I want one of them to go away. We only need one level of a local tournament. Um, my second one. Is I just want, I want you to, to go our away. First... What?
0: You can't say that about my locals. I said I wanted you to go away. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, oh. I hate when people. I hate when people bag on locals. I love locals.
1: <laughs> Good. We have some conflict here. I like it. Uh, my next my next one is I would like I want to see the first international on the Switch games on Sword and Shield, so not on whatever Ultrason Ultra Moon is. Um, regardless of the yeah. probability of that, that's a hot take. Regardless, regardless of the probability of that, that's what I want to see. That's my hope. Yeah. My other one, my well, my next one is. I want to see anything other than Ultra Series in the fall for the format we're playing on Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. You and everyone else. Yeah. So just even like even like please no more GS Cup stuff. Just anything different. Um, because oh, we've had a full the Gabby year.
2: the Snyder Cup. That's the best cup. Sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a good point. So wait, was
0: the uh, whole? Yeah. So wait, have we been playing Steven Morioka rules ever since Sun and Moon came out?
2: Yes. Um, that's how that works.
0: Yes.
1: Yes, that is exactly how it works. So,
0: And my initials are gold.
1: Yes. if I hope everyone picks up on that. But, <laughs> it um, took a second, but I got it. Uh, yeah, so the um, we've had GS Cup for a year. I'd, let's just see something different. My next one is I would want to see the championship point bar raised by 50 points um, globally. Uh, I just want it to be a little bit harder to qualify for Worlds and uh, adjust the international point payouts accordingly so that, um, you know, whatever that level is to minimum qualify for top whatever um, is also there.
0: So do you want less people in Worlds, Steven?
1: Uh, I just want it to be more difficult. If that ends up with less people, then so be it.
2: Ooh. Are, are we discussing Dang, Steve- now, or should I just wait?
0: <laughs> uh, we No, we, we can, but apparently Steven thinks you don't deserve your Worlds invite. You hear that, listeners? I mean-
2: Oh, I thought you were talking about me personally. And I was like, I only have like 21 CP. I definitely don't deserve it.
0: I didn't know if you had CP just in general. I didn't know if you went to tournaments or not. I started going to. No,
2: you're fine. I I started going to Seattle locals actually because they're uh, within public transit of me now, which is huge because I don't own a car. But um, honestly, I. I like the idea of having a more open day one for worlds. I think that if you attend events like very consistently and always perform within the top, let's say like 20% of competitors, you should have a good shot at getting your world's invite. But on the other hand, I think that day two could be a little bit stricter as a result. Like I know that, uh, 2016, uh, worlds was kind of, um, interesting for multiple reasons let's say uh venue choice um sort of plays into my opinion of this um but i really did like how many people that year were allowed to play in day one um because i think that day one of worlds should be a celebration of what you've accomplished as a pokemon trainer and then day two and the obviously championship sunday um are about winning the prize like
0: I could I could see that coinciding well with maybe some kind of like expansion of the day to buy the day to yeah. invites to so like something like a top 16.
2: Yeah, so I I don't really know how the championship point math would work out for that. So, um mm-hmm. I'm I'm definitely for it on paper. I'd probably want to see a few numbers before I'd like definitely say like yeah this is what we should do um but it's interesting to me because the tcg i feel like has always had sort of a um like getting your day one world's invite for tcg is certainly difficult but it's not impossible whereas i think a lot of vgc sort of culture um was built up around the fact that our day one invites used to be freaking impossible to get um, and th- that's speaking as somebody who somehow did it in 2015, um, like that year, like getting that invite under that system was just so stupid hard. Um, I, I personally don't think anybody should have to, um, travel and compete that much just to, um, get their competitor's badge for day two, a completely different story. But, uh, personally for day one, um, I'm okay with the numbers. I wouldn't mind seeing it go up a little bit more and maybe have a emphasis more on qualifying through like a few locals, one or two, maybe three regionals and then an international championship of your choice. Um, but day two definitely would have to be harder as a result. And I think that's totally fine.
1: Sweet. Ha, yes, Gabby. So, so Gabby also says, uh, our points should go up just a little bit. So great. Uh, and this is not me, like, personally attacking people, being critical of them, that you don't deserve an fight or anything. I just, I just like finding the, cha- I like challenging things, I like finding the challenge in things as well. So, upping the ante a little bit, um, you know, pleases me in that way. So, I just want it to be a little harder uh, for everybody. And I was just attacking you just for fun, Steven, don't worry. But it should still be
2: achievable without... Going to every regional, going to every local, and then doing two international championships. In my opinion, for day one,
0: yeah, Mm
1: -hmm. okay, yeah, and that's and that's okay. It's just like um, yeah, the system was very different, difficult, and very wonky back in the day. Um, back when the top X system just entirely no CP bar. We uh, we all played through a little bit of that era. Well, Gabby, you and I both played through the whole era. Alex, you were there for most of it too. Mm-hmm. To be fair though we also played through the
2: era where it was do well at this one tournament otherwise your season is over.
1: <laughs> yeah. The the good times. Oh yeah. Um uh, I'm going to I'm going to move on to my last one here and this is this is just one I want to see in uh this is both for next season as well as in general uh just steady stable growth for our competitive game. Um, every, like, new generation, we get an uptick of competitors, and that typically, um, waivers off after just a few months, or maybe, like, half the year, and then, uh, the following years, like, you don't, the numbers don't really grow anymore, um, we just kind of stagnate and even, uh, decline a little bit, so I just want, um, something or whatever to, uh, help us grow the game, so hopefully Sword and Shield and being on the Switch on this new console helps us with that, I just want to see, I just want to see growth, that's all. In terms of the player base. I think
2: that's a fair ask. And I think um, the growth aspect that you called out kind of plays into my requests for uh, 2020. Um, Honestly, it's not that much because I was looking at it and... Uh, personally, I've never really been too picky about a format. Um, I certainly find stuff I like and I don't like in each format, but when it comes around, I just kind of like, eh, it's Pokemon. I'll play it. It's fun.
0: Yeah, you just gotta play yeah. it. Yeah. You know?
2: Um, so what I really want to see from VGC 2020 is more what I want to see from Sword and Shield. And, um, I think that. I think that the games have made strides towards making the barrier to entry for competitive Pokemon a lot easier um but that being said I think they need to make it as easy as it is for someone to just like literally pick up their game and then after they beat the main story or whatever they can go into competitive mode and then they have the ability to you know maybe fine tune some of the stuff that you can't normally do without hours of breeding um or what have you um It's unfortunate because um, especially with formats like GS Cup, um, I think that they're a lot of fun to play and there's certainly a lot of potential in having these like literal titans of pokemon out on the field but um it can be very intimidating for somebody who's new to the franchise to just be like okay well how do i build a team and then to be able to iterate quickly enough to sort of get good at the game you really can't do that if you're just playing on your like you know ds right now unfortunately so i really want the switch to try and address that um I don't know how they're going to do that mind you like i've certainly thought of ideas in the past that i think are great but i'm also a programmer not a game designer so what i prefer is just numbers numbers and numbers um but like the bare minimum i'd like to see would be um at least for like local and regional level tournaments you could enter with like a qr code team for example
0: yeah, um, the equivalent of that would be really just
2: cool. Just because that,
1: that would that, that'd be so yeah, nice. Yeah,
2: that would mean that someone could just like show up to the event, um, you know, have their QR code that they got from like Wolf or Aaron or maybe even me if I start team building again, um, and then just be able to play and have fun. And, you know, if they like it, then maybe they can start getting into more of the intri- uh, intricacies. Ah, I can't talk um you know get into the nitty-gritty of what the game is competitively and you know train their own pokemon and go that route and understand you know what the stats mean and counts and yada 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 but there really needs to be a stepping stone um because right now we don't have that and i think that's why the game is sort of suffering in my opinion
1: and uh gabby i just want to make a really quick comment about this point because um you'd mentioned how you'd brought some like uh, improvements you'd want to see in the past and back on the lava pool you would talk about this a lot um specifically about um, being able to alter IVs back then uh, which wasn't <laughs> cape wasn't possible back in Gen five and six when the show was primarily running but I had always been super critical of of you when you had said that and I was like that's never gonna happen they're never gonna do that and then we eventually do get that in Generation seven in the form of hyper training just being able to have Your Pokemon have any IVs, essentially, and you can make them perfect with uh, hyper training. So um, I was wrong. Yeah. And you were right. It was a great addition. It
2: was. I think it was something that had to be done. Dang. Which is why I kept saying that so long ago. Um, I mean, I don't want to get into, like, nefarious things or whatever, but when you start building up this culture around the fact that it's very hard to pick up your game and enter a tournament, that's usually a sign that there needs to be something changed just to keep it very vague and uh, friendly. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But anyways, going into my other sort of ask for um, Sword and Shield is spectator mode, but that's purely selfish. Like, I don't know if...
0: Ooh, I talked about this before. Okay, you have? Okay. Yeah, a little bit. Not too much. Just uh, I think that they might... I'm thinking that they could do it with this whole Rotom camera thing. It would
2: be... I I mean, okay, so the person in me who does commentary and stream production and blah 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 is like, you have to have a spectator mode, otherwise there's going to be one person on the field who has all of their moves and stats and everything displayed to the entire world, because when you capture video from a switch, you literally mirror the video feed. And that would be bad.
0: Well the it exists actually in the current versions of the game at least in the japanese versions of the game huh um uh, okay uh, we learned this i think did uh did
1: steven did justin burns talk about this on the show um do you mean like ultrasun ultra moon yeah
2: i'm not familiar with that yep. personally
1: i'm not either what are you oh. what are you referring to
0: i learned about this from justin uh i think from him either i think it was him playing uh against a japanese opponent on the side stream in 2018 or something like that and uh it was this stream that they were doing for the players in japan and uh he wanted to watch himself in that game and he watched it back and it was some kind of stream spectator mode where both sides hp was not uh shown i don't know how exactly they did this uh i need to talk to him to get more details but basically they were keeping everything hidden so it was fair it was still from one side's perspective but yeah it was like a spectator mode.
2: Okay. Well, I want that, but I want that available to everybody. <laughs> so that yeah, exactly. So that like when I pull a table to um, you know, be on stream for a match, one person doesn't hate me for the rest of that tournament. <laughs> it, it's a very selfish reason, but um I, I think that uh technically speaking, if um esports or whatever you wanna call the play Pokemon circuit um, if it's going to succeed long term, um, this is just something that has to be done, um, and like also for what it's worth, I really like the fact that we're moving to the Switch. Um, I think that it's going to be amazing for content creation because you no longer have to buy a hundred dollar modified three uh, DS unit that you can't actually use for tournament play in order to like stream on your own or whatever um all you have to do is just buy you know one of the multitude of hdmi capture cards plug it into your laptop and you're good to go i mean i've even been playing around with a setup that would allow me to capture games without having a laptop which um i really hope i can actually make work because that would be a lot of fun to bring to tournaments but um like that's cool yeah it's really cool there's a lot of potential there and it's taking a big gamble on whether or not Uh, game freak will program it but i really 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 hope they do um game freak sama if you're listening please please
1: please understand (laughs) yeah yeah and like spectator mode asking for this i don't feel like is even a selfish reason like it's very valid um in this day and age and especially with what considering the system we're moving to um so it would it would be very i mean very important to have this for this system the other
2: way they could get around it and I don't really know how I feel about this, and this would probably spark a long conversation so we can just mention it and move on, is if they release team sheets to all players before the tournament started. Because then you'd already have that information and it wouldn't be like some boom big reveal kind of thing, but that would really impact how people play VGC and I haven't really formulated an opinion on how on if they did that just because I'm hoping it won't come to that personally. <laughs> but anyways that's a big conversation in and of itself
1: yeah juicy topic uh let's avoid it Alex (laughs) uh let's move on to you
0: so um my first two kind of go hand in hand which is um the uh, I have lower entry fees uh as one and that's just kind of a standard thing that's got a lot of talk in the community and I've uh talked about this before plenty on the show so we don't need to dive into it too much but I'd like to see the snowball, the travel award system just kind of abolished, like just got, gotten rid of some different form of day two, tra- um, day two rewards given out um, where they're not just paying players to go all around the world and where they just kind of snowball and stay at the top. And that money could re- be used to redistribute around and maybe lower entry fees for regionals and such and nationals and what have you. Because there's, there's a lot of money that goes into that system. Um yeah, yeah. Sure is. So that's pretty much those two points. Again, abolish snowball and lower entry fees. Uh, if you did get rid of the snowball, it might be very easy to lower those entry fees. Uh, I would, I think... Now, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but I would like to see the rotating formats return.
2: Oh, I love the rotating the, formats.
0: For the, the coming season, I I really liked it, having multiple formats in a season, and while it's cool to see one format get a lot of growth and, like, you know, 2017, one of my favorite formats, I'm happy that I was able to experience it because it changed so much over the its course. Uh, it's also really fun when uh, every couple of months, you know, the thing, things change and suddenly one Pokemon that wasn't good at all is very good and things fall off and it's just cool. I, I don't know. I really like that.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, I guess, varying degrees of success this season. Um, I'm also curious, like, what if we had something like TCG? Having like the you know their version of a standard and expanded format, but we just had two different formats within one um, season, and it kind of just like alternates every two months or something. That'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, that would okay. Yeah, that's a fun idea. And I
2: th- I think it would also be cool, um, if like let's say hypothetically going into twenty twenty, we do start off with the ultra format. But they take, like, the top seven or eight non-restricted Pokemon and just say, oh, you can't use them anymore. Like, I, I think stuff mm-hmm. like that might be interesting, too, to just try out in, like, a rotation sense. Um, obviously, don't have your, uh, you know, year sort of end on a format like that, because I think that would be very strange. But... Um, for this like post-worlds meta game where everybody's kind of burnt out on the format, but um, you know we're all uh, stuck twiddling our thumbs almost until Sword and Shield comes out. That might be an interesting adaptation, or we could just go back and play like you know, 2015 format, and then I can be good
0: again. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down for that. I like 2015.
1: <laughs> that would be fun. Uh, now, yeah, uh, Alex, what else you got?
0: Uh, I so this one uh is for specifically when we get to the switch um i'd like to see some kind of tournament software whether it involves using some kind of host switch or a host computer or host device um something that basically automates the tournament process a little bit more because switches won't be able to connect via infrared i think it'd be really cool if uh yeah it was able to like send data to your switch so that you could find your opponent that way and Like, it kind of tracks things, and you could see, like, maybe even see your pairing on your Switch or something. It'd just be really cool. Oh, Um, I I love that
2: idea, but I don't think venues have the Wi-Fi needed to support that, to be blunt.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it does sound sound brilliant for our just tournament style, and uh, yeah, it does sound tricky with Wi-Fi and just, like, also set up with uh, the different numbers and input and all that.
2: What if it was for, like, the next online challenge, though? That would be fun.
0: Ooh. So, uh... I like that idea. The uh, old GameStop giveaways, where they gave away, like, you know, Pokemon, like, Shiny Suicune, or what have you, uh, were those done through Wi-Fi? So,
2: those are actually really cool. Um, They had special carts that would uh, run the distribution software um yes. so it wasn't uh i think it was actually local wireless when it came down to it
0: that's kind of what i'm imagining but you know maybe you need a couple of host switches or something i don't know exactly how this would be done uh, but
2: it would be that's more along
0: the lines of what i'm going yeah I, I just in general i think it'd be fun to have some kind of tournament software a little bit more advanced than what we have now um and then lastly uh of course uh not at all related to Gabby being on the show but uh I think it'd be cool if all the regionals were streamed
2: Hey I mean if you want me on camera or whatever I'll do it sometimes I need help to get there but I am more than happy to stream
0: Um it's been uh a little bit different since Pokémon has moved to streaming only the internationals uh I miss the official stream at Collinsville um that I think did it end with my win? Did they stream twenty eighteen? No. I feel like you would know, Gabby. Uh, Critical not? hit
2: did twenty. Uh, the most recent year for uh, Collinsville, I think.
0: Well, there was. There's been two since I've won. So Alvin, did you? When Alvin it won,
2: I that. He... So my first year commentating officially, which was also, I guess, my first year commentating. Um, so that was the last Collinsville, I think. Okay. Or no, maybe there was one. I I'd have to look it up. But yeah. Anyway, anyway sorry. I,
0: I would like to see. I'd like to see some regionals be streamed a little bit more. We've we've got most of them this year. Like we did very well. And obviously, I'm not doing anything to support this other than you know watching streams and uh, talking about them here on my podcast. But uh, I know. Um, I just, this is just me being selfish again, as we've talked about our selfish wants. I would just like to watch some games. I just want to see some streams, more streams.
1: Same. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, those are some of our hopes for the 2020 season. Uh, everyone else, you can let us know what you would like to see as well. This could get, uh, very, uh, convoluted, but also there are a lot of things people want and we, let's see, uh, what else everyone's got. So, let us know so we can talk about them on the show. Yeah, that too. That'd be uh, that'd be awesome. So, um, folks, we're gonna try and go through this last part pretty quickly here because we are running pretty long, but uh, we just wanted to play our uh, well, mo- one of my favorites is the world's location game. We're doing this a little bit early this year, trying to predict where the next World Championships is going to be for 2020. Um, to do a quick rundown of all past locations, we had Orlando in 2004, Florida. Uh, San Diego, California in 2005, Anaheim, California in 2006, Hawaii in, uh, Kona, Hawaii in 2007, Orlando, Florida again in 2008, Um, San Diego in 2009, Hawaii again in 2010, 2011 was San Diego, 2012 was Hawaii, 2013, Vancouver, Canada, 2014, Washington, D.C., 2015 was Boston, Massachusetts, 2016, San Francisco, 2017, Was Anaheim, California, 2018, Nashville, Tennessee, and this year in 2019 is Washington D.C. again. So, um, where do we all think the World Championships is going to be for the 20 at the uh, August 2020? Seattle. Really? Okay, Alex is going with Seattle. Uh,
0: well, okay, hold on. First off, I said it fast because I didn't want anybody to take it.
2: Do you have no competition for me on that one? I
1: same, same. Mine's actually different too.
0: Well, I, mean, I picked it because it's the home of uh, of Pokemon, and uh, Steven didn't give me enough time to think, so I'm gonna actually, uh, you know, Steven and I, we talked about this, we're gonna do a new thing this year, where every week, leading up to Worlds, we're gonna guess a new city, so that way Alex has more time <laughs> I love it. <laughs>
1: uh, that's great, I do too. That would be oh my, we get so many opportunities to get it right. What uh, are you guys uh, thinking? Gabby, I'm gonna let yeah, Gabe, I'm gonna give you the honor of uh, to do the next one here.
2: So, selfish Gabby says Hawaii because I want to go back. But practical yes. Gabby, um, honestly, I wouldn't mind doing San Diego again or just any like beachfront place. I think would be a lot of fun. Um, because I like beaches. Dang
1: it! Maybe. Dang it! You took mine. I can't believe it. Wait. <laughs> I was gonna say oh, San wait, Diego. Oh wait, really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, I mean, oh, so I, I could,
0: didn't take anybody's. It was Gabby.
2: I could go to my other fallback, which I know it won't happen because I'm pretty sure the last time they had worlds in uh, Florida, there was a giant hurricane. But um, you know, I, I I'm always up for Disney Worlds, so we could I could do Orlando.
1: All right, cool. So I mean, my original pick was uh, San Diego, but I guess Gabby, you chose that. Um, I guess my backup would be Minneapolis, Minnesota. Kind of a weird one, but it's just like I don't know, random feeling, random place. Like I'll go for it. Um, there is so... an
2: international airport there that like everybody has to connect through anyway, so that's always a plus.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so the international airports in these locations help. I know I had a, this old stipulation about uh, worlds always needed to be by a big body of water, but Nashville ruined that, so that's not a thing anymore. Um,
0: there are no patterns, Stephen.
1: Yeah, no more patterns. Uh, Who are we? What are we? We're crazy to think that. But um, Alex, your final say is Seattle, Washington. Uh, Gabby, are you going to go with San Diego? I'll
2: be nice. You can take it. I'll I'll go with Orlando. But again, Disney World's heavily biased, self-serving, yada, yada, yada.
1: (laughs) Cool. And uh, mine will be, I guess mine will officially be San Diego, California. I think we're going back to California. We've been on the east uh, for two years straight now. I think we're heading back there. Um, anyway, that's our show.
0: That's it. That's the whole thing. Was that enough? Yeah, that's- Was that enough for you? The whole thing.
1: <laughs> I hope, I hope uh, everyone's satisfied with this one here, but, um, yeah, remember, you can leave us your feedback, que- uh, feedback, questions, and comments about, you know, ho- your hopes for the VGC 2020 season, as well as the World's Location game. In fact, let us know for next week. Where Some of your hopes and where you think Worlds is going to be next year. Uh, we'll talk about it next time on the show. Uh, again, you can do that uh, via email. That is email us at vgchypervoice at com. You can find us on YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Remember, you can leave us a review on iTunes to uh, help with visibility on the show, help others discover us. And remember to tell your friends. If this is a show you think they would also enjoy, please go tell them. Um, tell them via internet, in person, whatever. Uh, just spread the word about The Hyper Voice. You can also find us on Facebook, in our Facebook group, and on Twitter, at The Hypervoice. Lastly, you can fo- also follow all of us personally as well. You can follow me at Super Morioka. And Alex, where can people follow you? You can follow me at LexiconVGC. And Gabby, where can people follow you?
2: I'm uh, at Gabby Snyder on Twitter. Pretty easy.
1: Fantastic! And one more thing before I forget, I did not thank Gabby, our guest, for being on. Thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate your Thanks time. Thanks for having just, me. Um, thank you so much. This was a this was great. Uh, loved having you on. Um, and yeah, uh, we just tried to i i tried rushing us out the door, and I almost forgot to thank our lovely guest. Uh, so I apologize for no that.
2: No worries. Sorry, uh, I dragged it on a little bit. <laughs>
0: I think we all did. No, pol- no apology needed.
1: Yeah, but uh, thanks everybody for being on, and thank you, the listener, for listening to our show. We hope you've enjoyed all of it, and we'll uh, stay tuned for more of the Hypervoice. Hello.